Welcome to the Serve Conscious Podcast, where people and companies can learn the inner game of service and tap into the fullest power of the service opportunity. So join me and let's master the service mindset together and up-level service the world over. And I encourage you to check out my partner, the Institute for Organizational Mindfulness, which is on a mission to help people and companies to incorporate mindfulness into their culture and raise performance, efficiency, general happiness, and everything that we want from going to work. So link is in the show notes for you to go deeper into that as well as the mindful service movement. All right, let's get started. Hey guys, welcome. How are you? All right, so let's be real for a minute. Let's be real about the statement, let's be real, and what I really think of it. I think it's a very effective way of getting someone's attention. If you start a sentence with, let's be real. Authenticity in general is a highly prized experience in modern day culture. I feel like it's always been, and we always mistrusted what seemed like a performance from other people, like they're just putting on a show, telling us what we want to hear, showing us the shiny side of themselves or the part they most think we want to see in order to get what they want out of the relationship. But I believe that once there was a TV in everyone's home, we were surrounded by people in a performative state, maybe more than we were even used to in everyday life. Professional performance was something we'd have to go out to experience. Now it just constantly was infusing our daily experience, even if it was the news. I mean, they're talking about real stuff that's happening, but they're putting on this unbelievably contrived newscaster performance, right? Where their seriousness and sincerity is just so well-crafted and so well-delivered. Nauseating sometimes, right? Like you just had too much sugar or fried food. And now today... With the rise of social media culture, it's not just professionals that are performing for us, but everyday people are constantly performing their everyday lives to each other to try and make them look as well-packaged and marketable as possible. So when everyone is constantly marketing a constructed version of themselves and consuming other people's constructed version of themselves all day, authenticity or at least a sense of authenticity, must be a premium, really, right? And I've talked about on this show plenty of times the experience of authenticity that restaurants are always trying to cultivate and how elusive it can be. And in equal measure, probably in separate episodes, even though I think it's related, I've talked a lot about our authenticity as people serving and how to convey a sense of that in how we serve and how important that is and how valuable it is for leadership to encourage authenticity in its people and allow space for it. The kind that builds good relationships anyway, because when you look at authenticity, there are misconceptions about what the expression of authenticity needs to look like for it to be a satisfactory amount of realness, right? And moment to moment, that might look very different. But oftentimes, it's not what we think it is. And with what I wanted to talk about today, I think we're going to be getting at this ideal of authenticity that we strive for in speaking about something called emotional labor. 
I feel like we might have talked about it. I don't think we went deep on it. So I want to go a lot deeper on it today. And if you're not familiar with this concept, it was probably first framed as we know it today by Arlie Russell Hochschild. That's what I do when I don't exactly know pronunciation. I'll just overcook the accent on it, <laughs> whatever I think the accent might need to be. Hochschild, yeah? And she wrote a very seminal work called The Managed Heart in like, the mid-80s. And she takes kind of a social scientist's perspective studying the modern worker and their struggles and found a very interesting and I think really important issue as it concerns the psychological health of the modern worker and very, very much so the customer service employee. Because I think a lot of the examples she even gave in her book were from customer service oriented jobs, even though this affects other realms of organizational life and the expectations of how we're supposed to feel, but really not so much how we're actually feeling, but how we need to make it look like we're feeling, which is a really kind of interesting and troubling concept when you think about it, that in addition to all of the obligations of our jobs, which is to give our time, our blood, sweat, and tears, even if we're not feeling up to it, even if we can't get care for our children, though that's been evolving in recent years, thankfully. But regardless, all those little things that suggest that we really aren't free to always do what's good for us, you've got to do what's good for the organization. You also aren't free to feel what you're feeling in a certain sense. Hence the provocative title of her book, The Managed Heart. Like, what is going on in our hearts, in a sense, also has managerial eyes watching it and micromanaging it, essentially. Now, of course, no one's looking into your emotional state with observational equipment. That would be extremely invasive. I don't know if that's in some dystopian future of work. I'm sure there's been novels, sci-fi novels written to that effect. But you are being managed based on what you're expressing emotionally. And that's just as challenging when you're not feeling that way. We all know what it's like to be feeling one way, but having to express a feeling that's totally opposite. It's extremely straining. So today we're going to talk about ways of managing this strain, because this is a sense of relief that you deserve as someone putting so much time and energy into the well-being of others through your work. So allow yourself that because no one else is going to provide this relief for you. These expectations aren't going to change anytime soon. In fact, think about how many people in your life that you can just be your shaggy self around, right? And even so, we generally try to like manage the emotions we express because we know that they can be upsetting, triggering, even harmful to other people. Most of our relationships are at least somewhat curated. And I've emphasized before that there's nothing wrong with that at all. With the right intentionality, this is a process that's really considerate to others. 
and really good for building a relationship and a connection, even though one could say the best relationships are built on authenticity. But if you're intending to genuinely feel warmth and friendliness towards a person, even if your inner experience doesn't totally match that, the wholesome intention is an authentic one. It's just not going perfectly because you're human and you've got a lot of other stuff going on. And the more you bring this intention to have more warmth and friendliness, even if you're not feeling 100%, the more you'll naturally, legitimately produce these juices of warmth and friendliness within you. Like with everything, like with all the practices we do here, they are essentially a rehearsal of something that we'd like to happen more automatically, more often in our life. So that's a key thing to remember here, that authenticity doesn't just mean barfing out whatever gremlin-y thought is going on in your mind and snarling at someone just because you don't feel 100%. There's really nothing wrong with managing your behavior. That's not inauthentic. It's considerate. It's also not inauthentic to genuinely wish to be friendly to someone and not really feel it when you try. Remember the authentic part. It's the intention. They'll at least feel that. Because really what comes across a lot of the time in what we're saying and doing is the intentionality behind it. Not necessarily the execution of it, how polished of a performance it was. The takeaway here is to be fine with being human. It's not inauthentic to still have that division between your intention and the execution of the emotion. Let's scroll back to this sense of faking it and why it's such a struggle for us. In Hawkschild's book, she calls this surface acting. So we're performing an emotion that is expected by us, by our employer, by our customer, and of course, sometimes our coworkers, because this is a social ecosystem and in that world, there are certain faces we wear in order to fit in, right? And I think a lot of people just sort of take for granted that this sucks without knowing why it sucks. But it's really helpful to know why. Because it involves honoring certain needs that you have. And just by honoring the needs, even if nothing else changes, you don't have to fulfill the needs. You don't have to change your behavior in any way. Just notice them and honor them. And right there, you'll start to manage things better. So firstly is the need to be heard. We all have a need to be heard and understood. You know this because you're in customer service, and that's one of the fundamental needs you're dealing with in your customer. Their need to be heard and understood. Well, you're no different than your customer. You're made of the same human stuff. And when you're feeling a certain way and not able to express it, that need to be heard and understood isn't being fulfilled. And it's okay for that to be unpleasant. Secondly, we've already mentioned it, authenticity is a fundamental human need. We want to feel like we're being ourselves. And not feeling like you're being yourself cannot be anything but unpleasant. So be fine with that. We're not going to get too much more into like cultivating a sense of being yourself since we've had other episodes where we dug into that, and you can definitely explore them. But I'll just touch back into 
the importance of this need, honoring it, but acknowledging that this is an opportunity for you to see that you are more than just your feelings right now. Like, just because you can't express a feeling doesn't mean you're not being yourself, because yourself is much bigger than that. It's bigger than your mood. It's bigger than your job. It's bigger than all this stuff you want to say to put your customer in their place. And for that, you need practices like meditation to reconnect with your deeper sense of self that goes beyond all of these kind of surface level behaviors. What's another reason surface acting sucks? Please tell me, reach out to me and tell me what's important to you that you feel surface acting grinds against. We all have needs that are particularly important to us. I'm naming some that are really important to me. I know they're important to others, but you have your own profile of needs that this practice violates. I got one more. It's a pretty American one. How about the need for freedom, right? In a surface acting situation, you don't feel free to handle things how you wish to handle them. You must handle them instead how you're expected to. Of course, that's unpleasant. All disempowering experiences like this are. To go deeper into freedom, check out the episode on obligation mentality. I'll leave that link in the show notes. I think I linked to it last episode. It's a really powerful concept when it comes to up-leveling our service mindset. And also, what if handling things with friendliness, with joy, even if we're not really feeling it deep down, can become how we personally actually want to handle things. And we're going to explore how to connect with that. Firstly, let's look at what Hochschild believes is the antidote to surface acting, and that is known as deep acting. And that's when there is much less space between what's going on inside of us and what we're expressing. And that's because we feel more of what we're expressing. Notice the word acting is still there in the terminology, though, because this is still considered somewhat a performance. It's just one where you're conjuring authentic emotions. And I guess that's what actors do, right? They get really good where they're actually crying. They're actually feeling what their character might feel because their emotional system is so limber that it can just basically manufacture a perfect replica of whatever they're supposed to feel, quote-unquote. And I guess there's other sophisticated techniques they use. I don't know them. I was never an actor. But as it concerns deep acting, as a preference to surface acting, all of these really sophisticated techniques they use to immerse themselves in a character, like actually never stepping out of a character, even when they're having dinner with their family, which might sound kind of crazy, but it's perfect for cultivating genuine emotions, which of course translates to a better performance. In a sense, it's an unquestionably good performance because it's real, inside and out. So, aspiring actors in LA and the world over that are working in service jobs, I know there's a good number of you. I've known a good number of you. If you don't already know it, you have a tremendous advantage with these tools at your disposal. Sounds like it anyway. But again, you can tell me if your experience is any different. But for the rest of you who do not have an acting background and you're like, oh man, Stefan, you've put this big problem at my feet and now I've got to like master the Stanislavski method in order to be able to deal with it. Absolutely not. I have 
overcome my venomous hatred of surface acting without taking a single acting class. There are many roads to Rome here, and we're going to look at a few. And guess what? It doesn't involve empathy, necessarily. Or at least how you might imagine empathy to be. And all the dudes listening are probably like, yes, I hate empathy. (laughs) It's so hard feeling the feelings of others. Yeah, exactly. If that is your definition of empathy, it's not going to get you anywhere as it concerns breaking free of surface acting and entering into deep acting. Because let's actually look at this emotional mask we're expected to wear as service professionals. Cheerful, calm, considerate, caring, All C words. Don't ask why. This isn't some four C's model of customer service. These are just some examples of the emotions that you want to express and generally they're positive, friendly emotions. There's a non-C word, friendly. Now, what's empathy? In its most basic definition, it means to feel what someone else is feeling. Now, if your customer is happy and you're perfectly empathic, you'll be happy as well, because you can just pick up all their positive vibes. But that's not the kind of customer that we need all of these tools to get better at serving at, right? It's the ones that are unpleasant that we tend to feel unhappy serving. So if they're unhappy and we're simply using empathy to feel their unhappiness and we're expected to express this effervescent sense of joy serving them, you're feeding the division between your internal experience and what you're performing, and things are getting harder, right? This happens automatically anyway, right? Because emotions are contagious. And we've talked before, we'll talk more again about how to iron yourselves against contagious emotions that will unnecessarily bring us down. But basically what I'm saying here is not that empathy is bad. Empathy is the source of so much wonderful humanity in us, but having empathy without other tools just means that we're going to get lost in the mire of their issues without a true north to keep us centered and grounded. I have to, as someone that works one-on-one with people, coaching, teaching, and if they're working through a difficult emotion, I can't be all the way in feeling it along with them. Coaches call this jumping in the pool or jumping in the pit. And again, it's not gross that they're there. We want to keep away from them so they don't get our nasty energy on them. No, it's just that you're not as helpful when you're in the pit. If someone's drowning, you want to be either outside of the pool to pull them out of the pool or in the pool with a flotation device or some apparatus that gives you an advantage to keep them from dragging you under as you try to save them, right? We could have a whole episode on this. I'm sure we have, (laughs) but... I just want to sum this up with saying that emotions don't need to be felt. They need to be understood. And in that sense, we're not talking so much about empathy here. We're talking about compassion. Or that last quality, one of the last qualities I mentioned there in that list of those emotions we're expected to exude, and that is caring. Caring, compassion, they're pretty similar things for me. Understand what they're going through and have a desire to help. That's much more valuable than just simply letting the emotional tidal waves wash over you, right? And if you're already the kind of person where this just happens to you, whether you want it to or not, not a lot of people want it to happen to them, but it's just an involuntary 
empathic response that is highly disruptive, then these tools will be equally helpful to you as they are to, you know, those of us with stone hearts. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Actually, if you don't tend to have these deep empathic responses to the pain of others, it's important to understand that you are not somehow less caring and virtuous and capable of truly helping people. You're just simply wired differently. And with, again, the right authentic intentions, you can have just as much understanding and compassion for someone else. So let's return to tools for beating surface acting. Item number one, whatever feeling you're feeling internally that's uncomfortably far from the feeling that you're performing, honor that feeling. And I encourage you to go backwards a bit and listen to the guided self-compassion practice that is really powerful. There's a long version and like a short in motion version where you can get into the habit of just saying, yeah, this is what I'm feeling right now. And it's okay. This is a natural, universal experience to feel this. And it's okay to feel even worse about the fact that I can't do anything about it right now. I can't express it. I have to express the opposite, and what a bummer. You'll be surprised at how much this helps without having to fix anything. Because what's one of the worst things about surface acting? It's the feeling of loneliness. What I mean by that is, here we are having an internal experience that no one is at all in resonance with. It's so different from everyone else. And that's a common struggle of anyone experiencing some diminished state of mental health. They feel like their inner world is at odds with the people around them. And God help them if they express it. No one would be able to handle it. They'd all reject them, and they would seem and feel like even less than a human being, right? That's what the mind tells us. It's not true, but that's a belief system that can emerge from having an inner state that is contrary to the performance expectations of everyone around us. So this practice is really important for just saying yes to what you're feeling and acknowledging the universality of it. Because what's a better cure for loneliness than a sense of common experience, common humanity? Hopefully just listening to this episode will help plant those seeds of knowing that other people go through what you go through on a daily basis. Now, sure, you might be thinking that this doesn't get us any closer to deep acting. I'm just talking about how to feel our unpleasant feelings rather than how to actually cultivate and express genuine positive feelings, which is what we really need to do here, right? Well, doing that without being able to feel and process your own unpleasant feelings is only going to get you so far. And it's an inauthentic way of practicing mind management, mindset management. Sure, gathering the right state of mind to show up and perform is really awesome. And nailing that is a huge motivation for me in my own work on myself and my work with other people and organizations. Yes, but that must never be at the expense of knowing how to 
just feel whatever we're really feeling. So now that we've talked about how to do that, let's talk about how to actually feel the emotions we're expected to express. And a really good practice for that is visualize yourself feeling those emotions, not expressing them, feeling them inside. And there are more involved practices you can do before work. And I'm making a note to have an episode where we go through one of those practices, but I'll just take you through the basics of visualization because visualization works for the same reason that method acting works. You will begin to feel the reality that your mind creates. You have the hardware and it'll run according to your software. Your software being whatever exercises you allow your mind to go through. So for this exercise, you're going to close your eyes, that's best for visualization, and imagine yourself in a state where you are feeling cheerful. See what that's like in the body. And feeling caring and friendly. Feeling patient and calm. What is this person like? Let's say this is like a more evolved, quote-unquote, version of yourself. You're more resilient. You're more harmonious inside. And just put yourself there. This is the you of five years from now. This is the you of tomorrow. This is the you of right now, if you wish to claim it. And imagine this grandmaster self, as I like to call it, continuing to feel this stable sense of calm, patient, caring friendliness, even as one or many people around them are pushing or attempting to push your buttons. Intentionally or unintentionally, right? A lot of the times, our customers don't even mean to push our buttons. They're just doing something that annoys or inconveniences us, right? So imagine the kind of person that isn't inconvenienced by whatever your customers throw at you. And really feel it. Keep bringing your attention into your physical self, especially the torso area, where these emotions tend to really circulate. There's really a sensation of them there. Don't focus so much on what you're thinking about the situation. Keep bringing yourself back to the body. You can do this practice for one minute, three minutes, ten minutes, whatever you can make space for. You can drop into this quickly before you know you're about to go into a situation where you're going to need it. The importance of this practice is not just to imagine yourself when you're handling things well and like watch yourself from afar. Look out from those eyes to the world as though you're already in that person's skin. You've already got their blood coursing through you. Really viscerally embody that person. That's the power of this kind of visualization practice. And it works for anybody, even if you don't fancy yourself a good visualizer. Just the intention to put yourself there will trigger those emotions. And the more you do it, the more this will become a vivid experience. So that's visualization. It's essentially method acting in your mind, right? You're rehearsing as the person you want to be. And this 
practice has actually been used in many forms for thousands of years. It's tried, tested, and true. It works. I swear by it. But let's talk about a third method of deep acting. And this takes us beyond deep acting because we're not even manipulating emotions anymore. Now we're just connecting with the source of genuine emotion. And this emerges when you reconnect to what it is about serving that's meaningful to you. Why do you like helping other people? What makes you feel good about it? Let's visualize our customer now. Visualize the most annoying customer you can think of. They're badgering you. They're condescending. They're expecting unreasonable things. They're interrupting you. They're not listening. Whatever. Whatever it is. You don't need too many of those ingredients for them to set you off. But let's say they're all of that at once. Sure. Fine. And then envision all of the hardships they've experienced in their life up to that point that have led them to behave like this. Heartbreak, abuse from others, loss of loved ones. It's not hard to imagine that anybody has experienced this, potentially, and that people with a rough disposition have probably experienced even more of this stuff from childhood, deeply ingrained traumas that are unfortunately, but undeniably, playing out right now in this service situation. What if your friendly, caring, joyful response to their expression of their own trauma that they don't know how to do anything about, at least not right now, but meeting them with care and compassion could help ease this suffering they carry with them, as all humans do. Remember, all human beings are suffering in some way. All human beings are in a prison of their own mind and their own sense of failure and inadequacy and all of the other demons flying around and barking at each other in this storm of inner conflict that is their life. Visualize a customer like this before work. Visualize the healing power that your genuine friendliness can bring. And wherever possible, reconnect with this fact moment to moment in your job. And imagine yourself as a healer, as a hero, and your superpower is friendliness and care. Because it's true, you actually are. I mean, this isn't just acting. You actually can have this effect. And you will have this effect legitimately the more you remain connected to this truth, and the more you tap into it. Because fundamentally, you want to help, and you thrive on bringing more joy and elevation to others. And when that is your intention, these genuine emotions will more naturally emerge. They won't have to be cultivated, manipulated, performed. It's like, oh, somebody out there needs me. Zoom, laser eyes, you know, just switches on, right? I love superpower analogies. If you've been to my website, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and by the way, what are you doing here when you're imagining their struggle and wanting to heal it? You are expressing compassion, not empathy so much, but compassion. This doesn't mean you have to feel and drown in all of their potential drama. You just have to understand the fact that they're struggling and have a desire to genuinely help. This is it. This is how you gather authenticity. It's not, well, I feel like crap right now, so I need to let them know. 
or I think they're being a jerk right now, so I need to let them know, or else I'm not being real right now. And I bet you've witnessed people in your life, perhaps in the service industry, that somehow get away with that, and you're like, dude, you're my hero, right? Like, that is so awesome, that you can just speak your mind to people, and there aren't consequences, so to speak. Maybe you can think of some crusty old guy that's been working the same taco stand for 40 years, but everyone knows he's got great tacos and they respect him, so they developed a taste for his grumpiness too. And yeah, those personalities are great to have in your life too. You know, you do you, always, right? Great. But that is not the only flavor of authenticity that you can access. Thank goodness, because that flavor doesn't work in most organizational and service settings. And it's probably also not the kind of authenticity that contributes to a life where we're as happy and healthy as we can be and where we're growing. Because if you're just as mean and grumpy as your life has conditioned you to be and the people around you trigger you to be, then you're not really questioning or evolving your behaviors, right? Unless that's what you want. Hey, you do you. But how about you discover what doing you really looks like? And I would suggest that visualization practice and spending some time with it so that you can envision not what the service industry expects you to be, but what do you expect you to be? What do you want to be, to feel, to cultivate in your relationships with others? What kinds of feelings are nourishing and life-giving to you? You know that. You're the only one that knows that. And when you discover the ones that overlap with your professional success, then great, bonus. Now, cultivating those emotions might bear more of an incentive because it's stuff you want anyway. And if it's stuff you want anyway, know that there are always practices to develop it. In addition to what we talked about here, but I think those three areas are pretty key. So take everything we worked on today and just remember that this is all about having the intention to bring more of this friendly wholesomeness to what we do. Do not worry about actually nailing it every time. I can't remember the last time I absolutely nailed it. I just intend it. And the more I bring these wholesome, positive intentions into what I do, the more I feel like what I'm doing is on purpose. Like, I feel more ownership of it. Like, it belongs to me. I'm not just doing what someone else expects me to do or reacting mindlessly to what someone else behaved like. It's all me now. I'm in possession of my behavior. Even if it doesn't always go the way I want it to, I'm in the driver's seat more and more. And that's, I think, the payoff of bringing more mindfulness and awareness to our surface acting and the struggles we have with our performance versus our inner state, and to the deep acting, to the cultivation of the emotions that yield better relationships with customers and you'll find anyone in your life. The payoff isn't that we're a more polished newscaster of a human being that charms everybody, but it's that we do feel more in control of the person we are. And to me, that's more authentic than just reacting to everything with the usual impulsiveness that I end up 
regretting later anyway. All right, I hope that was helpful. Check out the website, www.serveconscious.com for more great content around raising your service game. And uh, check out another link in the show notes to a mindfulness course that is very free that I'm about to host. I hope you can join me there. And that's about that. Hope to see you again soon. Bye-bye.